Hey, 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 ladies and gentlemen, this is Uncle Earl, your host, captain, and DJ of the Underground Experience here in Los Angeles, the entertainment capital of the world. I'm reporting to you this week for the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. Eight days, 25 films citywide. It started May 3rd and goes on till May 10th. You'll get dramas, documentaries, comedies, and shorts. Their slogan is, our films aren't just selected, they're chosen. It's the 7th Annual Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. On this show, I will be bringing you reviews, news, and interviews with some music. I'm going to start off with uh, Tony Curtis's documentary called Driven to Stardom. And I'll be bringing you commentary from Cohen on the Bridge by the writer, Mr. Andrew Wainrib. Okay, so hang in there. Here we go. Sometimes people get so scared, they'd rather die. 
Teen heartthrob Tony Curtis died today at the age of 27. His popularity with teenagers that began when he was 23 won him stardom in films such as The Prince Who Was a Thief. Tony Curtis had just finished his last starring role in the soon-to-be-released movie Houdini, portraying the legendary magician who sought to contact the dead through seances. Of course, this imagined news announcement is to make the point that if Tony Curtis really had died in 1953, his iconic hairstyle, bad boy image, fashion, and seductive eyes would forever beckon us through the mass media, making him the ultimate teen sex symbol for each new generation to come. His image would appear everywhere. Being a movie star is uh, great fun and wonderful. It's also a lot of work. And you give up your private life. So there's a lot of setbacks and there's a lot of struggle. And sometimes young people find it very difficult. Uh, ten years ago. No, this is not from ten years ago. Sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. this is not ten years no, ago. That's, no, that's this now. is not ten years. This is now, now, baby. I'm We're in the live. now. This is the underground, underground recording. experience, baby. This is one of two black people at a Jewish uh, event. Yes, and I'm always every year just south of uh, of Wilshire. Yes, every year I'm every the year. only two, one of two. Every year, or and, only one, and sometimes. a gentleman at that. Yes, but doesn't tip just like a true I did so. professional Jewish. Man. <laughs> <laughs> this is, you're a Brett, right? I am. Hey, it's all good. Brett, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> I'm Irish. Is this going on YouTube? No, no, no. This so. is radio. On the internet? This is radio. This is okay, radio. Right now, live radio? No, it's not live, no, oh. but, but it will be on. Okay. But we sure. do have to say that um, in, all, in all due respect, yes. this event yes. is about celebrating Hollywood in the truest form that... that most kids my age, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm 36, so I'm no young spring chicken. Yes, but you are. I, I would say from most actors and writers that are coming up now, they don't understand what Hollywood used to be. Not really. They don't understand what Hollywood is now, mm-hmm. and they need to get keen on the fact that this town has been around a lot longer than they have. Exactly. And when it's they respect, be a long, run along like when they respect, yeah. then then more art will be created from them. Are you an actor yourself? I'm an actor. Writer. You are. Yes. Okay. Where and I spent ten years in New York City before uh, here. I'm from New York. Myself, I believe you know? that, that to be a true artist in this town, you need to spend time on these coasts. Exactly. And you need to, to cut yes. your teeth there. Yeah. Cut your teeth here. Yes. Now, did you do theater as well? I did. I you did. did. Yeah. My first show right out of acting school was an equity production of Sam Shepard's Full for Love. Ooh. We got incest, we got alcohol, we got the whole nine yards. Just <laughs> you just jumped into the yeah, pool, you just jumped yeah. right in. <laughs> yeah, it. but it. it's life is supposed to be dirty, and that's what everyone wants to show up and see other people going through the same struggles. Mm-hmm. Nobody has incest, reality. nobody has drunkenness on that level, but it's it's an accentuation of reality. Yes. yes. So, good for you for being here. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Here. What's your full name, Brett? Garrett Hughes. Brett. <laughs> I like, I want to, like, he's going to call like, me Brett, like, I'll, I'll take Brett. Brett Garrett. I'm going to call him most deaf just because he's got You know, another friend of mine does now. that, and I'm like, man, would you just knock it off, please? Yeah, let's, let's leave that on the okay. recording. All right. <laughs> this is all on, ladies and gentlemen. Cheers. Now we're going to drink some wine and turn hey. off the Ooh, recording. Yes, all yes. Right. All right. This is Uncle Earl here from the Underground Experience. A candid moment here, and uh, there'll be more right after this. Ciao. Gather round, friends. I've come to drop some knowledge on ye. 
Only the ugliest people are what they appear to be. I've sailed almost every sea, been far, baby, I've been wide. And I've learned that one simple thing can't be denied. Everybody is ugly on the inside. Everybody is ugly on the inside. Some are frozen, some are fried, but everybody is ugly on the inside. You may be a model, you may kiss the bride, but everybody is ugly on the inside. Everybody's ugly. Shiny hair, so rich and so rare. The mirror may care, but I don't. There's no makeup, makeup you haven't tried. But everybody is ugly on the inside. What with blood and guts and pride, everybody's ugly. Talk we've had helped you see. Only the ugly among you are who you appear to be. Gangsters blasting bullets. Flappers dancing to wild jazz, and speakeasies selling bootleg liquor. This made for the madness that Tony Curtis was born into as Bernard Schwartz on June 3rd, 1925, to Hungarian parents at Flower Hospital in Manhattan. Bernie, as his parents called him, learned to speak only Hungarian at home. His father, Emmanuel Schwartz, had immigrated to the United States in 1921, six months before Bernie's mother, Helen Klein. It was the same year that Rudolph Valentino, another immigrant, became the biggest star of silent films. Hey, 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 ladies and gentlemen, this is Uncle Earl here at the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. I'm here with the man of Knight Rider fame and Batman, right. Mr. George Barris. How you doing? Fine, very much so. Cars, of course, is a wonderful part of my life. Yes. And uh, starting in the film industry, my first one was High School Confidential uh -huh. with John Barrymore Jr. at wow. MGM when I was 16 years old. Oh. We were what we call in our industry illegal street racing guys. Okay. So that's why the movie world loved me, uh -huh. and that's how come we got into the one with John Barrymore Jr. and all of 
Wow. From that slid into when we finally got out of the big movies, uh-huh. the big screen. Yes. Now we're in every household in the world. Yes. Television. Yes. First show, television show, the Beverly Hillbillies. Wow. Then I went to the Munsters, then Batman. All my favorites. Then the Monkeys, <laughs> then the Knight Rider, then wow. the Dukes of Hazard, and James Dean. Wow. On and on and on. On and on and on. I so, mean, how does it feel to have done so much? I mean, but you're a part of American history. Yeah, I'm very fortunate you know? uh, for a, a young kid at uh, 14 years old. Yeah. I got kicked out of every school. Really? You were a rebel? I was a rebel because I went to school to learn automobiles. Uh-huh. Not history, not arithmetic, not English. I wanted to build cars. cars. So every time they put me in a class, they put me in, a, in an art class to draw flowers, yes. I don't want to draw flowers. <laughs> they put me in a metal class to make rain drains, I don't want to make rain drains. I want to build cars. Right. So finally, by the time I was 14 years old, uh, I did my very first car, mm-hmm. a little 32 Ford. Mm. I made $10. Wow. I said, I'm going to be a rich customizer. <laughs> so I took the name custom, being Greek. Yes. I throw the word C away. I bring in K. K for mm. customs. And then that's when it started snowballing. Nice. Then I started hanging around shops, doing one car to another car, uh, becoming a street racer, yeah. uh, relevant. But we had my, my club that I had with custom cars with mm-hmm. were uh, cruising USA. That means all over USA. Right, right. But we had one five-point ruling. Mm-hmm. That's what I always lived with. You didn't smoke, you didn't drink, mm. and you hated drugs. Mm. But I allowed two bad habits for all our car guys. Oh, really? What, what cars what and girls. Cars and girls. <laughs> you so can't go wrong the, with that, right? Saved, the, <laughs> saved me a lot. It made it right. become our Let me ask you this question. When you did get the opportunity to design these cars, did they tell you what to do or they let you just run away with your imagination? I would use my imagination or what my skills were when those recall me to do Batman. Which was fine. I said, let me see the script. Mm-hmm. I want to see what you're doing. Wow. He got there, Adam West and Burt Ward, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. But the thing that admired me is all throughout the script was how, bang, right. okay? Right, right. I said, well, if you're going to do that with them in the script and in the film, splashing, I'm going to have the car act exactly. Nice. When you went pow, I shoot rocket tubes. Nice. Bang, I go oil squirts <laughs> and chain slices. So I made the car become an actor like wow. Batman. Beautiful. So that's why even to today, worldwide, mm. everywhere I go, I went to Sweden, I've been yes. to England, I've been to Germany, everywhere, you always hear him say, Oh, bang, wow. Yes, they remember <laughs> the things that made Batmobile so famous. Right. And then what about the Beverly Hillbillies Jalopy? Well, that was another very good chore. Yeah. When they called me, Hatmer called me in the Beverly Hills and we're doing a movie called Beverly Hillbillies. Mm-hmm. We want a jalopy. Uh-huh. I said, where am I going to find a jalopy in Beverly Hills? <laughs> so I take off and down the 10 freeway, and I get to Riverside, and I see an old feed store. Mm. And sitting in that feed store was an old 1922 Oldsmobile sedan made into, they cut the back of it, and then made it into a truck to haul hay. Wow. So I photographed it. Yeah. I run back to the studios of Beverly Hills and said, yes. how's this? I got it. Hey, George, this is great. <laughs> but you got one thing you got to do. 
to it. So what's that? Got to put a rocking chair in the back for old granny. Mm. Those are the challenges. That was the custom had. with the K. Another one that was a very big challenge was the Munsters. Oh, yeah. Now, here I get yeah. a monster family. Fred Gwynn, Al Lewis, Yvonne DiCarlo, Pat Priest, Little Butch Patrick. I went out and got three 1925 Model Ts mm -hmm. and made a six-door Model T Munster coach. Wow. I put lanterns on it. I put spider webs on it. I had, had angel hair and all that. Yes. And Butch on a big cradle way on the back. From there it was famous. But Al Lewis said, George, I gotta have a car for me. You've done so
You've done so many things. Is there something that you haven't done that you want to do? Uh, each year you seem to find something. Yeah. Now I went reverse back to the 50s, mm-hmm. and I'm taking another 51 Merc, okay. and I'm adding new school to a, to old school and putting the combination together, and I'm getting all the old school guys to do things that we used to do in the old days with lead and, and metal and settling torches. Like we don't have those in schools today. Right, right, right. But I do enjoy one thing. I enjoy going to various towns and starting schools for kids to learn how to customize and build cars. We're opening up a school in New York. Great. I got a museum in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Great. I got another museum in Volo, Illinois. Mm-hmm. We're opening up one in Florida. Mm-hmm. And just to show you with my showrooms that I have here in North Hollywood, it shows all these things that I've been doing for years, as well as the things that we're doing every day. Great. I'm a family-run business. Okay. Regretfully, my wife left. Yes. My daughter runs a company. Yes. My grandsons went to school to learn international marketing nice. because you got to market what Keep you do. Keep it tight. Keep it tight. My son okay. is doing a book on me. Wow. He's going through all my history photos mm-hmm. that I've taken for years wow. with people and cars and stars and da 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 da, like stories I had with various, various. One good celebrity that I would tell you about this young man. I'm building a limousine for him. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got 20 people working in my plant. He goes to my people, my painter, Mr. Tubbs, how are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. Now, he knows that this Tubbs was sick. The guy's been my painter for 30 years. Yes. Then he goes to Tony, how are you feeling? How's your 14-year-old boy? He goes to all 20 of my people, yes. calls him sir, <laughs> and calls him mister. Yes. Then he comes in to talk to me. Now, young man was Elvis Presley. Got stories. Beautiful. With, Beautiful. Uh, John Wayne, the Duke, John Travolta, <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I mean, you just, the ones I love the best got it was the Rat Pack. Nice. And Sammy Davis, he'd buy every car I could get for him <laughs> if he could get the money. <laughs> if he could get the money. <laughs> it's a wonderful world. Marvelous. They have four wheels. They have people with you, yes. the press, yes. that acknowledges things that we have done, yes. that people are very much involved. Well, thank you for your contributions to the world. I mean, over. You know, and I know, and you're a spry man. I see you got much more in you. When the, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. No, I'm very fortunate that everything's yeah. good. I'm just a, a lucky guy. It started off when I was 14 years old, mm-hmm. and uh, met a lot of wonderful people. Yes. And I'm looking forward to seeing more and more of it as we go through. And right. thanks to people like you. You're welcome. That get it out to the press. Yes, yes, you're welcome. People don't know about it if you don't tell us exactly. about it. Exactly. So you're doing what you're doing in the press that talks about me, what I'm doing in cars. Yes, and it makes me happy to spread it around to the people. You know? But I thank you so much, sir. Thank you again. And much continued success okay. and blessings to you. Come over and see you All right. Thank you so much. Okay, All right. This is Uncle Earl here on the red carpet at the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. Right, There'll be more right after this. Side by side And mostly live and let live It's working well for now 
This thing we call society, it keeps moving down the track. It's not very often that the pressure builds and things come to a head. No things are pretty mellow, but the question is how long, how long? There may come a time when things break down, and what will we do then? If that day comes and we're still messed up, it will make hell. began going by the name of Manny, since Rudolph went by Rudy, and slicked back his hair with pomade to emulate the great lover's exotic appeal. The world's first male sex symbol had much to do with Helen's marrying Manny. Family and friends had compared Helen's beauty to the silent screen's femme fatale, Pola Negri, while all agreed Manny could be another Valentino. This gave the young couple star appeal among Yorkville's Hungarian community. 
Hi, ladies and gentlemen, this is Uncle Earl from the Underground Experience here at the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival for a screening of Tony Curtis' film. And I'm here with his wife, Jill Vandenberg Curtis. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Lacey. You're beautiful, first of all. Thank you. <laughs> You're just glowing. This was so wonderful. I mean, I've seen a few movies, and I didn't know the intensity of his life. Yeah. Tony, Tony had a really amazing life. And yeah. I, you know, you, you just see him on the screen, but his life was really, he was, really was a larger-than-life yes. guy. Yeah. And he really was that. But he was so humble. Very time. humble. Yeah. Very kind and generous, always. Yes. But, um, you know, it's really amazing when you see what his life really was like and where he came from and how he ended. And you have to be proud of that. You know, yes, what but he's still here. Yeah. He will never go away. No, Tony's still here. And, yeah. What is one of your fondest memories of him? Yeah, I know I, you have, I have many. Some, <laughs> I have so many, but you know, the, the thing I miss the most is just, just being with him and sitting around watching TV with him. And mm -hmm. He would do this funny dialogue. He'd turn the sound down on the TV and yes. do all the dialogue. Oh, and he it knew it all. So hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, he'd make up dialogue as he went along. And, you know, just so... The things he would say was so funny and so witty. Yeah. I, I miss that. Yeah. You know? Now, um, did you meet all of his family? Yes. Were, were they very welcoming to you? Were they very warm? Uh, some of them were. Some of them were. Yes, some of them were. Yeah. But they weren't always accommodating to Tony either. So. Mm, right. You know. And what, what was one thing that he loved to do in his free time that we don't know about? Well, like he loved to paint. He loved to paint. Obviously, he loved to paint. Um, he loved his cars. He loved to go out for dinner. We went out almost every night for years and years. Um, he loved to kind of just hang out. He loved to read the newspaper, sit around, and, you know, just a normal guy. But, you know, he had a great life, a very right. full life. Right. And yourself, are you an artist as well? Do you Am I what? Are you an artist? No, no, I have horses. Horses? Yeah, yeah. I do um, horse rescue. Yes. I have a horse rescue foundation, and that's what I do. How's I, that going? It's great. Yeah? And I moved to my ranch um, a couple months ago, and um, that's been helpful for me to get, you know, keep, keep my life, something to simplify right. my life. And, right, could you tell my listeners the name of your ranch? Yeah, it's called Shiloh Horse Rescue, and we have a website. It's shilohhorserescue.com, and it's Shiloh with an H. Okay. And it's the, the Jewish word, it's the Hebrew word for uh, place of peace, Shiloh. Nice. So I, I love that name, and nice. Tony helped me name it. Right. Well, blessings to you, and much continued thank success. You. Thank and, you, um, Thank you so much Thanks for talking lot. to me. All right. Okay. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a moment here at the L.A. Jewish Film Festival. That was Jill Vandenberg Curtis. There'll be more right after this.
so much about Tony that I didn't know. I mean, oh, yeah. his life was intense. Yeah. It was really intense. I mean, besides the movies, I just like human interest stories and he had it going on. And, and to know that he was so humble and he had that drive, that passion and it wasn't... Driven to stardom. Yeah. But, yeah, he was. But it, but it wasn't pretentious. It was just, tr- he was true and honest about it. But I mean, yeah. wow. Was well, I think it was so interesting to learn about his childhood and then that that was the force behind, you know, this... this need yes. to yes. be famous, this need to be recognized, and this need to, that continued throughout his life. I mean, it was it was an addiction to stardom. Yeah, yeah. But what a wonderful one to have, huh? And you, yeah, exactly. And it worked for him, yeah. and that's great. And he, he made a great career for himself, but he touched so many people's lives. And think, with all his films, and that will carry forward forever. Yeah, but I have to say, I think you've outdone yourself this year. Oh, thank With the you. selections and the, the schedules, and you're all over town. All over town. In I looked to see. I was like, oh, venues yeah. between now and Thursday, May yeah, 10th. East, West, North, South, the Valley, West, Hop, West LA. West. You're, you're wonderful. You're amazing. You're tireless. You're like the Energizer Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> 
Until May 11th, then you're going to shut no, it down, right? I love right? it. I love it. I think it's great. And more importantly, it's really important for me to be able to deliver a program like this to the community because it's something, you know, we always say there's something for everyone. Our films aren't just selected, they're chosen, right. but it's true. Right. I mean, we work really hard on selecting, you know, a handful of top quality films that appeal to a much larger audience. Yes. The goal is not just to show films for the Jewish community. Right. It's right. not about being That's ethnocentric. It's yeah. about reaching out to the wider Los Angeles community mm-hmm. and, and the world. And the world, absolutely. But we could start with LA. Yeah. Start with LA. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and this year, celebrating Hollywood is something that's been really exciting. And we're doing the film on Sunday night. Yes. The 1924 revival yes. of the silent film, The Moon of Israel. Moon of Israel. I'll and be we there. have a live pianist, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I heard they have some uh, scantily clad bevies in this film as well. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward Maria to that. Corda, the poor Hebrew slave. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'll be around, and I'm going to grab it all. And Good. I look put it out to the people. You. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. This is Hillary Helstein here from Los Angeles Church Festival, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Ciao.
ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? This is Uncle Earl from the Underground Experience here in Los Angeles. Sunny sometimes, rainy others, but it's pretty good right now. I have um, someone from the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. He is truly artistically creative in his own right. It is Andrew Weinrib. Close. Close. Wayne Rib. Wayne Rib. Wine Rib. Uncle Earl. I like wine with my ribs. Anyway. Okay, okay. Okay, he's in the background. Y'all can't hear him now. He's got a lot to say, but he's an award-winning independent producer and director of live action and animated films and television here in sunny California. And he started his career in hospitality business as a restaurant and nightclub entrepreneur. That was successful. Then he went on to Axe TV. We'll talk about that later. There's a whole lot of things I want to get into, but I want to get to what he's, why we're here, and it's an independent film called Cohen. Bridge to Cohen? Cohen on the bridge. Cohen on the bridge. Can I get, can I get the bridge to Cohen? You can get anything you want, seriously. I thought yeah, it was yeah. Cohen, Cohen Island. No, that's Coney Island. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that's a Coney Island thing. And I have a Coney Island story, too, but we'll save that. For okay, later. we'll save that. But we both share being from the East Coast. No doubt. You know, that's a yeah. wonderful thing. I love it. And you've been here for quite a while. Absolutely. Um, well, actually, I just came back about a year ago. I, mm-hmm. I came out here in the late 80s, uh-huh. and uh, I loved it. And I said, I'm never, ever leaving. And then four years ago, I uh, ran into an old girlfriend. Mm. And, yeah, you know where the story's mm-hmm. going. So we got okay. married, uh-huh. and I moved back to the East Coast. <laughs> and then I got divorced. I moved back to the West Coast. And that's it. There's nothing else. I can't remember anything oh, else. Oh, really? I remember going out to get a Dunkin' Donuts coffee because you know <laughs> there's Dunkin' Donuts on the East Coast. And of then course. I was back in Malibu. Right. So that's basically the story. Wow. Yeah. Okay, um, and you said you live out in the, near the beach. Yes. We don't have to be specific, but um, you like being by the beach. Well, I think nice? that uh, I'm lucky to be out there, yeah. and uh, it's, a, it's a spectacular spot, and I love the ocean. I think the ocean is just one of those things yeah. that invigorates the heck out of us. I just left Redondo Beach. I was down there for a while. Yeah, the same ocean. Mm-hmm. It's connected. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very much. Hmm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> big blue-green thing. When you look out your window, it's right there. Yes. But we're unbelievably lucky to be here. Yeah. Southern California, the ocean, the mountains. We have all of this these incredible... Mm-hmm. Uh, lifestyle choices to make every single day. What am I going to do today? Mm. Go to the beach? Go to the mountains? Oh, I'll go to work. That's a good thing. Yeah. When you can. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, I know we're here to talk about Cohen on the bridge. You bet. However, I'd like to give them a little bit of history, you know, to lay the groundwork before that. Um, I see here also that you uh, ask, I want to get into the restaurant business because that's something... Sure. That's a sidebar. How how did you get into the hospitality? Was that something that you always wanted to do, or did your family do it? You know or? how uh, your career finds you. You hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting things happen when you you know find yourself in interesting situations. Mm-hmm. When I uh, I was born here, but I grew up in Canada. When okay. I moved back here, uh, I had moved back here specifically to work for an ad agency. I was mm-hmm. fairly young and kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, etc. Not. Were you a surfer, dude? So I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except, for the, except for the dude and the surfer <laughs> stuff. It's all, so I was completely there. Okay. So I actually moved back to New York first, okay. and I was saying, and I had uh, gotten a job with an ad agency mm-hmm. as a kind of a junior account executive, and they were going to wean me and take me to this program and kind of teach me the ropes. And as the clock was ticking, they said, well, you're going to start, you know, 10 days, 14 days, whatever. They were doing some, I said to myself, gee, uh, what am I going to do for, you know, the next 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. And I needed money. I needed a job right, right. away. So a friend right. of mine had, had gotten hired um, as a waiter in a very trendy Upper East Side hotspot that was just opening up. Mm-hmm. And I said, gee, and I said, you know, you have no credentials for this. You have no experience. Why? And he said, <laughs> well, well you? you know, my dad owned a restaurant, you know, 900 years ago. I said, yeah. well, if you can do this, I can do this. And I kind of, you know, 
walked in and mm. just bluffed my wing, got hired. Right. And uh, <laughs> it that first day that it opened, it was like yeah. it was just one of these amazing experiences where everybody had ever read about or seen pictures of or mm-hmm. heard about, basically in in Life magazine, People magazine, anything yes. that I ever exposed to as a little yes. kid. All of a sudden, they're there in this restaurant, the wow. Upper East Side of Manhattan. I was thinking myself, this mm. is pretty cool. And there were a lot of, I mean, super interesting people. And this mm-hmm. was all, this was the very first day. And I was thinking to myself, this is a cool environment. Of course, I worked. You double shift that day and double shift like the next 10 days and at the end of that mm-hmm. that period you know I'd made some money and I'd made new friends like, and I had this amazing I think experience I like this and I said, that's exactly <laughs> right and I said to myself uh, honey, uh, and then wait what am I going to get paid at the ad agency and they're going to work me 700 hours a week and I couldn't figure it all out I couldn't I figured you know when you're that young too you also think well you never have to think about tomorrow exactly and this is a lot of fun and then I can do this for four or five days or four days or even three days a week mm-hmm. and come away with maybe the net result that I'd have for seven days or six days working overtime in right. the agency right. and I said this is pretty cool because then I can pursue other things like gee I want to be an actor I want to be a professional mm-hmm. athlete I want to do all these things mm-hmm. so you figure out the universe kind of unfolds for you and you, if so you, you listen well you, you chase it you chase you, you know. kind of chase those opportunities yeah. down a highway with a crossbow <laughs> You're saying, yeah, 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 it's me. <laughs> Twang. And you miss just about everything you shoot at. But it was, and then from being there in that situation, I kind of ingratiated myself with the customer base and with the management. And it, they offered me the job to be basically to run the place. And it was a very, very, uh, very occurrent on the map kind of place with a lot of celebrity clientele and mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of potential relationship building opportunities. So right. I said, yeah, this is cool. And then once I was kind of deeply involved, and I had all these other sidelight things going on, I was mm-hmm. very involved in, in uh, martial arts training, and I was involved with the kind of just I had these other other kind of sidelights. That I could see that because you, remember, I just, uh, you reminded me of Batman. Batman, well, you know, <laughs> Robin dropped me off, I don't, and I have no idea who that guy was, but uh, he, had, he had the funky, you know, the tights and the whole. Yeah. So the bottom line is, I'm I'm in the place now. I'm yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm running the joint, and I'm thinking to myself, I could do this on a, on a really kind of cool scale myself. Mm. And I started thinking about opening my own places. So, and then so it was just a natural progression. As a young man, you were enterprising already. I think. That's I mean, you like everybody likes to think yeah. that they, you know they look at the opportunity for opportunity, and you yeah. seize it if it uh, if it rears its ugly head long mm-hmm, enough. Mm-hmm. You grab. Right on. It's not always the right thing to do. Right on. So did you enjoy that more than the ad working at the ad agency? Well, the ad agency, I just never started. I mean, I you didn't just. Oh, you did. You never did it. Never started. I just. I got so involved, and all of a sudden, what I was doing was so lucrative. And then I started to plot. I saw this roadmap for what I could do for the next Mm. few years. I said, I could do this. I can do this. I, you know, I was uh, taking acting lessons. I was studying with Stella Adler. I was doing all these really cool things and and training. And I had this little martial arts dojo in the Lower East Side in Alphabet City, and it was. All these things were going on at once, and I was thinking to myself, this would be really cool, and then things mm-hmm. will grow from here. And then once I started to put the plans together mm-hmm. for my own restaurant, I was starting to think that uh, this that somehow I kind of developed this career. Mm-hmm. And, and it was uh, it was pretty fascinating. And, so, and, and I see that the martial arts aspect of you led into Axe TV. Well, that was a, a, a kind of a logical progression based on the fact that I was meeting these really interesting kind of outside-the-box kind of athletes, mm-hmm. guys that were kind of edgy, and they were a lot of guys. When the kind of universe of extreme sports was kind of Right. Were they uh, like bare-knuckles type people? No, it was more, more guys. No, more guys. It was more guys who were doing kind of insane things, who were doing sky surfing and, you know, uh, giant wave surfing. The adrenaline junkies. Exactly. But you could get into that universe. You were accepted in that universe because you did something edgy enough. Yeah. So I'm saying, well, okay, you can hang with us or talk to us or work with us okay. because you're a little... Uh, <laughs> Twisted. Yeah, you, you live in the same kind of zoo. So, uh, right. you know, and all of a sudden I was going uh, to Europe and to like Chamonix and meeting these guys that were 
crazy edgy and doing mm-hmm. these wild ass things and uh you know you start to kind of you do a little so- of that yourself yes not a whole lot because you know guys break and they're some of the coolest of those guys uh, is no longer are no longer with us because uh-huh. it's such a breaking necks and backs and well and avalanches and cra- yeah. i mean uh-huh. just the, uh, i'm a city boy yeah tree grows in brooklyn okay yeah, I, I, I'm also very comfortable lying on the beach. Yeah, I, yeah. it's a different kind of beach. It's not right, tar beach, the beach, but it's, it's a, a beach. tree yeah, with yeah. a Johnny Pump. You know, yeah, that's, no, my no, I'm, I guess, <laughs> that's my beach. But um, could you talk a little bit about um, uh, the Axe TV? Well, uh, Axe TV was uh, an action sport mm. uh, production company we put together. Mm-hmm. A couple of the guys I met who were. Super talented. And so those crazy guys, you all got together. Well, some of the more sane guys in those <laughs> crazy guys who, okay. who were who were predisposed to yeah. film recording, and were in you know were were guys who like to kind of archive and catalog things on video. Mm-hmm. And we formed a little production company, and we started to develop a client base okay. of people that wanted us to 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 film and to do some kinds of industrial films, commercial. So you had your only little niche like reality shows. Yeah, well, they were, but it was more it was more kind of industrial stuff. So we okay. got some. We would be working for companies like. Uh, uh, my clients in in uh, in Europe were like uh, Benetton and Headsport, and we would mm. do a couple, did a couple mm-hmm. pieces for Red Bull, and okay. yeah, and and you know one thing leads to another, and all of a sudden we were doing uh, um, some more significant stuff, mm-hmm. and then we got to do some really cool stuff for U.S. television, and uh, you know we 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 kind of uh, we morphed into different entities from that. That was a yeah. good entry point, and we got a lot of we got a lot of respect. But then there were a lot of other people in that space, and some mm. super talented filmmakers in that space. So mm. we learned a lot, and we learned what not to do. And uh, we had a lot of fun. And then you still did it anyway. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no, that's right. And um, Yeah, learning doesn't... Exactly. Yeah, you don't have to take it to heart. Right, don't to take learn. it to heart. Yeah. Just keep on checking at it. But um, I see you've worked here with like some illustrious list of people. Um, you did uh, produce and directed The Five Coolest Things with Matt LeBlanc. Yeah, there was a show that we did. It was a series that we did for Discovery Digital. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. about motorcycles. Mm-hmm. It was about the different... Aspects. Is he an adrenaline junkie, too? Matt is... Uh, well, he's a motorcycle guy, he's that's a motorcycle for sure. Guy. He's, okay. uh, uh, and he's... With, in the world of motorcycles, he's... He's, he's there. Uh, yeah. He's, cool. uh, it's, it's very inspiring to see him because he's uh, on a bike because he is uh, a natural and uh, he likes to ride and he kind of kind of transferred that enthusiasm into the show mm. because he is well versed with not only all these these different aspects and these different genres of motorcycles about <clears throat> excuse me you know road racing and the super mm-hmm. the world of super bikes and mm-hmm. the world of motocross and the world of supercross and all all of these different disciplines yeah. and within the universe of each one of these discipline discipline excuse me <laughs> sorry it's the cotton mouth thing that's happening it's okay no phonics work for me too <laughs> within within that kind of universe, he's very well versed yeah. and and, yes. and a very strong advocate for all the different styles and, and in that universe. So mm. it's great to work with him. Right, right. And I see very him. naturally one of the funniest guys I've ever met. I loved him on you know on Friends anyway. But um, yeah, he was just finishing though the last well, uh, couple of years of. That he's series. growing into a nice looking young man. I mean, older man, and he, his acting is even getting stronger. I've seen him. You're just doing some. Yeah, I see his uh, uh, recently that show that he was doing on uh, on uh, cable on yeah. Showtime. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I see Thunderman. Thunderman was, was, was a, that experience. That was a, a documentary was that, that uh, we did in Florida about Don Arenow. Mm-hmm. Don uh, was murdered yes. in 1987, yes. uh, but he was rather unceremoniously. Mm-hmm. I don't know what murder ever is, mm-hmm. and it was a kind of uh, one of those whodunits, even mm-hmm. though there was somebody that was in jail mm-hmm. who had confessed to the murder and who recently pa- uh, 
I guess in the last couple of years he passed away. Mm. But it was still a case that a lot of people felt was unsolved and left a lot of people uneasy. Don was the inventor of a cigarette boat and one of those go fast and he had mm. probably four or five other of those amazing go fast boat companies like the Donzi mm. and uh, uh, created this kind of universe of, of, uh, of a personality about himself but be about these go fast boats mm-hmm. that became kind of a signature kind of that Miami Vice right, signature right, boat right. and uh, right in the in the uh, fluorescent suits pink totally. and green and purple and, and then they were associated <laughs> those boats were particularly were associated with certain southern california miami lifestyle mm-hmm. a lot of uh, aspersions cast on those boats as being used for a lot of offloading of drugs mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. don was very good friends with the then president uh, george bush hw bush senior uh. and he uh, his friendship led to a relationship with the customs uh, department, and he was making basically those go-fast boats for the customs department. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of this interesting dynamic yeah. and dichotomy of yes. boats being made for mm-hmm. perceptively the different sides. And used for, for devious activities. Yeah, but the customs, <laughs> for the, he was making boats for good guys and bad guys. Right, so right. So probably right. made both sides a little nervous. That's mm-hmm. part of the I think he made legend. more money on the other side, though. Well, Otherwise it's yeah. kept. But we won't go read that. It was, it was a fascinating <laughs> guy, and it's a fascinating, really fascinating story. Yeah, it was really, yeah. a, really a very, in a lot of ways, a very inspirational guy. Um, and at the same time, the guy was, uh, you know, well, he certainly lived life to the fullest, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Well, I see you've lived your life to the fullest as well, and that brings us why we're here today. I'm working on it. <laughs> Ah, because on. you are Check the man. Check Wait, if, if it's over, hang on. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not over. It ain't over. It ain't over. That lady ain't saying, and I'm no, not fat. No. Oh, wow. Uncle Earl's hurt. Okay. Anyway, we're here for <laughs> Cohen on the Bridge. Yes, we are. And um, how did you decide to pick this subject matter? Well, the story itself, because Cone on the Bridge is basically, mm-hmm. it's an, an animated film. It's a short mm-hmm. animated film. Mm-hmm. It's only 20 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's very fast-paced. It's right. very compelling. But it's, it's a story within a story. And the central story that is wrapped around by another very fascinating, compelling story is the story of the 1976 hostage rescue from Entebbe, Uganda. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, to get to that rescue, the, the, the brief outline, mm-hmm. a lot of people think they know this story. It's a story that's a little more complex than most people know, or most people may have garnered from maybe watching mm-hmm. some simple stories recapped on television. But in 1976, a plane with 248 passengers on its way from Tel Aviv to Paris stopped in Greece, stopped in and... Uh, in Greece, it mm-hmm. was boarded by several characters who then uh, uh, led by a, a, a German skyjacker terrorist named Wilfred Boise. Mm-hmm. The plane was taken over eight minutes after takeoff. Yeah. I actually remember that. It's a very powerful that story. I remember it. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff going on in those days. There were a lot of those mm-hmm. skyjacking mm-hmm. hijacks mm-hmm. going on, but this one particularly had a lot of dimensions to it. It was dynamic in the sense that it was... Uh, it was funky. Mm-hmm. They took this plane and they landed at first in Benghazi. Nobody really knew what was going. It was very confusing. And mm-hmm. remember, this was a time before the Internet. Mm-hmm. It was a time before the 24-hour news cycle. Right. I mean, the only way to really communicate, even fax machines were and secur- of, uh, Security was basically a pat-down. <laughs> okay, go, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> in, in, you know, in, in Athens on that particular day, there was no security because mm-hmm. there was uh, a strike or, you know, the, the details are kind of, wow. are still... Even to the documentarian, or something mm. sketchy because it was a strike, you know, or it was arranged that way, right? Or, you, know, you know, yeah. But as a rule, it was uh, security was sketchy. I think you, mm. you called it. Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> sorry, 
It's a lot of dryness in here. Yes. Wonderful Southern Cali- with California weather. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Next time I'll have the um, the young lady here to help you out. Not a problem. <laughs> Is that the answer to everything in L.A.? Yeah, I'll have the girl. Yeah, I'll call it. Nice. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah, no. So anyway, the bottom line is the plane gets taken. It ends up going from Benghazi mm-hmm. to Entebbe, Uganda. Mm-hmm. And uh, first it's a nine-hour flight to one destination, and then it's another nine hours. It's another, and the, and the plane doesn't really get to uh, Entebbe until mm-hmm. that Monday. So plane's taken on June 27th, midday, and doesn't end up ending in Because that's not in a long trip, really. Not it's really. It's not that long. No, it's not. <laughs> well, they're held on the tarmac, and they're getting right. releases, and there's negotiations right. going on in the background. There's negotiations going on with the Libyan government, negotiations going on with Entebbe. Nobody really knows where they're going, and they end up, so they end up being taken to Entebbe, Uganda. Mm-hmm. And they end up ending up there on, uh, you know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, Monday night. So mm-hmm. they've been in transit for a long time. Nobody knows where they're going. Um, it's a French airplane. It's an Air France flight, flight 139. Mm-hmm. And the, the French really aren't getting too amped up about it. And it's coming out of mm-hmm. Greek airspace, and the Greeks aren't getting too amped up about it. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of left to the Israelis to kind of take responsibility for it, despite the fact that there are Americans on board mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and Americans with passports and yes. double identity, double passports as well. So it's a pretty fascinating setup. Mm. Wow. Well, you know, still, it's, it's, you know, there are so many stories that you, can, you could have taken, but why this one? I mean, well, when this went down, and I was a, a kid, and I was kind of listening to this in real time, mm-hmm. it was uh, a kind of a very powerful relationship-building story between my father mm-hmm. and myself, because okay. my father was a refugee from the war, as were many of his family members. Mm-hmm. Many of his family members who had either <clears throat> escaped Hitler or had been in the camps, and then in the aftermath of the war had moved to Israel, mm-hmm. were very a large concern. And in my in my dad's mind and in his heart, and I and he used to follow these particular stories mm-hmm. back in the early seventies and the mid seventies very intensely. Okay. And I could get that out of him. And my dad wouldn't necessarily wasn't necessarily that talkative about something like that, but I knew that it was very intense and impactful yeah. motivation going on in his universe. And I kind of watched him get plugged into the story from the word go, and it, I followed very closely. And again, the news cycle was about watching the five thirty or six o'clock news with with David Brinkley mm-hmm. or Walter Cronkite or uh, Harry Reisner and it was a again you didn't have the news we couldn't click on anything mm-hmm. <coughs> we couldn't figure out what was going on and a lot of a lot of really fascinating and compelling things were happening in the story mm-hmm. so uh, and it, you got to remember the time it was the week of the American bicentennial oh, so the Americans right. were about That's were right. gearing up to spend right. basically the big load, the big party was coming on that Sunday. Right. It was going to be July 4th. Oh, so they were just... And the French president <laughs> was in Puerto Rico with with Gerald Ford, who was the president at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of... They had an economic summit, but that yeah. was, you know... Maybe it was just ironic how they can always coincide with something important. It was a big deal. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. a really, really big deal. Yeah, I mean, they were making a big statement remember that, that. And, uh, People that remember, yeah. um, who are old enough to remember that week, that was a huge party. Yes, it was. And it was the end of a year of partying. It was yes. our bicentennial. Yeah, up to, you know? leading up to, I mean, they... Partey. Yeah, partey, partey. Yeah, yeah. And I think people should join you at your party. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You have two opportunities yeah. coming up this week. Tuesday, May 8th, at AMC Century City. Starts at 7 p.m. there. And it is uh, preceded, I don't know how they're going to do the program, but the pr- the, pr- the Price of Kings, the Shimon Perez story, right, is running, coinciding with your run. Yeah, they paired the two films. Yeah, as well as on Wednesday, May 9th, at Lomley's Music Hall in Beverly Hills on Wilshire. And that starts at 7.30 p.m. Yeah, and you do, you do a Q&A with both? We're going to do Q&As with both, okay. and uh, we're really looking. I know there's going to be probably a little panel. It's going to be real interesting, nice. so I'm kind of looking forward Great. to it. All right. Well, 
I thank you for coming in. It's fun. Cool. You have to come back sometime. Uh, you know, you're not getting away from me. Not a problem. I got you. I got your number. Um, you know, like I said, <laughs> the opening of an envelope. I'm there. It's there. I'm All right. Um, do you have a website they can have as well? Uh, absolutely. They, sure. can, they can learn a little bit more about the film at www.cotbfilm.com. C-O-T-B, that would be like Cone on the Bridge. Mm-hmm. C-O-T-B film, one word, dot com. And uh, they can learn a little bit more. There's a couple of minutes of clip there. And they can kind of see some of the animation in still form. And, and uh, like I said, there's a little, some of the movie clip there. And learn a little bit more about what it took to put it together. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you got it from the man. And there'll be so much more. I'm covering the whole week of the Los Angeles Jewish Film Festival. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>